Welcome to Neighborly. Lost and Found. House number seven, Little Street. On the short, dividing wall that fits neatly between number seven and eight of Little Street, there sits a cat. It grooms itself, running rough tongue over snow-white fur. First, it deals with its right side, then it deals with its left. Its belly is next, followed by its lower regions, its legs, its paws. Toes stretch apart as the little creature pays the deepest of attention to all of its being. No single hair is left untouched. Every area passed over once, twice, thrice. It is methodical in its work. And once it is satisfied, it settles itself down to cast a watchful glance along the road. Hours pass as it sits and stares and does not move, save for the occasional sweep of its head. A person walks past petting the soft, mottled brown fur between its ears and cooing some light greeting before they continue on their way. Once they are out of sight, the cat sits itself up and begins cleaning itself once more. Then, again, it settles and watches the street. Eventually, someone else comes along and pets the orange cat. It accepts the touch, watches the person unblinkingly, and then sits and cleans itself once they are no longer visible. The next person to wander along greets the greying feline with a full-bodied pet, complete with ear scratches and a touch to its nose, accompanied by a soft boop of a noise. The cat does not move from its spot. It sits, it watches, it greets, it cleans. Its fur continues to be pure black, or was it a soft, sandy brown? Ginger, perhaps and it does not make a sound. It is guarding number seven, Little Street. Number seven is a normal house. It has walls and a door and a roof, presumably. Windows, for sure. The front door has a knocker and a bell, and proudly displays the number seven in a large but simple font. Within the house lives a person. They are a person in the same way that the cat is a cat. They are shaped like a person. If you were to talk to them, they would sound like a person. Not that anyone ever does talk to them, or ever has. They do not laugh, but if they did, it would sound like the sort of laugh a person would have. They have a face, as a person usually does. They have the standard features, a nose, some eyes, a mouth, some ears. They have hair, or they're bald. They wear glasses, or they do not. Sometimes they have piercings, sometimes tattoos. They wear clothes, of course. Most of the people on Little Street do. 
Name an item of clothing and they will have worn it. If not now, then at some point in the past or the future. If you looked upon the being who lives within number seven Little Street, you would assume them to be a normal person. And that is exactly what they would like you to think. No one remembers when number seven became occupied. No one knows when the house was built. You could ask, of course. You could walk down the entirety of the street, knock on every door and ask those two questions. When did the occupant of number seven move in? How long has the house been there? No one could tell you. Number seven has always and never been occupied. The building itself is both ancient and brand new. It is ever-changing and ever the same. The person has a routine that they do not deviate from. At a certain time in what could be considered the morning, the front door of number seven opens and out they step. Imagine them looking however you'd like them to. That is, after all, the easiest way to discern their appearance at any given time. Once the door has silently swung shut behind them, they approach the cat on the wall. The cat, forever guarding, does not move, save for a twitching of an ear in the direction of the being. A hand, small and delicate, or perhaps large and calloused, touches the feline upon its head and rests for a moment. For the first and only time that day, this day, any day, in fact, the cat closes its eyes. Fingers trail their way down the length of the cat, touch, feather light, no matter what the digits might look like. The creature, usually silent, lets out a pleasured little purr of a noise as it presses into the attending hand in a way that it simply does not, when passerby, greet it. It is enthralled by the touch, and the being spends a fair amount of time simply standing there, giving their companion as much love as it may desire. Once the greeting is complete, the being removes their hands, and the cat's eyes open once more. It sits, lets out one last purr, and then returns to its vigil. The cat does not clean itself as the being walks away. It will clean itself only after a passerby has greeted it, and then it will continue with its duty. This is the cat's routine, and this is what it has always been. No one knows where the being goes each day. You could follow them, if you really wanted to, but you would lose them almost as soon as they leave Little Street. And, unfortunately for you, once you have lost sight of them, you will not find them again until they return, many hours later. They greet the cat, this time only with a simple brush of a finger against an ear, and then they retire into number seven, where they will stay until a new day requires their attention. This is the being's routine, and this is what it has always been. Until today. Today, the being does not simply greet the cat and enter their abode. This is primarily because there is a human sitting upon their wall. Idly kicking their legs out, they look to be perfectly content as they coo over the cat-shaped creature that sits beside them. The stranger starts at the appearance of the sole occupant of number seven, and immediately jumps to their feet, an almost nervous smile tilting their lips. They stumble out a greeting, and offer a hand for the person to shake. I'm Bentley. Bentley? They are actually a person, by the way, and not just person-shaped. Has a pleasant smile, startlingly bright eyes, and what some would call an interesting fashion sense. A plaster cast holds their wrist stiffly as it hangs by their side. The being does not immediately take their hand. 
There is a slightly awkward pause as they stare at the appendage, almost wondering what it is for, before they shake themselves out of their stupor and grasp it lightly. They shake, and an almost imperceivable smile claims their features. They don't say anything. In their defense, they've never actually spoken to anyone before. Well, not in the time I've known about them, at least. The shake lasts, perhaps, a little longer than is necessarily normal for a greeting, and it only ends when Bentley carefully extracts himself out of the person's touch. Bentley looks nervous. This is probably because they have just shared a period of prolonged eye contact with someone who did not offer a name while standing outside of said someone's house, which they were effectively barring them from entry. The cat lets out a softly curious yell. Bentley jumps into action, the feline reminding them of their business, and with a quickly returning smile they begin their explanations. You probably don't remember me. That's fine. Um, I was in a car accident last month. The being's gaze flickers down to the cast. They do, in fact, remember. The being does not forget. The long street they had been walking down was softly winding. Shopfronts adorned most of the buildings that flanked the road, in and out of which stepped pedestrians. Hands full of their spoils for the day, as they nattered to those who accompanied them, most too caught up in their own lives to even begin to consider those of others around them. The occasional vehicle made its way down the concrete strip of road, each as careful as the next, amongst the bustling crowds that walked the pavement. The being was alone, as they always were, wandering, watching. No one paid them even the slightest bit of attention as they deftly weaved their way through the stream of people. It was like they didn't even exist. On the ground somewhere ahead of them lay a soft toy, a small rabbit, thrown in a distressing fit of tears by a child now streets away being pulled along by a parent that had no idea the toy was lost. Even from this far the being could hear the distress that laced the nonsensical babbles tumbling from the young human's lips. They did not stop in their pace as they passed the toy, instead easily swiping it up into their hand as they continued to duck and weave. There was a pause, and a quick thought, and then the being smiled as the wailing that was so obvious to them yet unknown to all around them faded out into naught but the occasional sniffle. Their now empty hands returned to their sides, and far away the child clutched its once lost toy. A few more helpful acts were completed, some bigger in consequence than others, but none that received a personal thanks. No one could tell that it was the being who was helping with the events, after all. They easily continued their way down the high street, unseen and unnoticed, as they carried out their tasks for that day. As and when the opportunities arose. They witnessed the car come careening around the corner moments before it actually happened. They heard the screeching of tires and the blare of a horn, the shouts of onlookers and the panicked wail of the injured. It had not happened yet, but they saw it nonetheless. Even the humans around them could hear the car as it approached, though none knew what was to happen. A short breath was inhaled, and a couple of fingers upon the being's hand twitched. 
Though the car did still come careening around the corner, it did so a fraction of a second later than it would have without intervention. An accident that would have affected Manny, and for years to come, instead became a simple bump. A lightly scratched paint job, and, unfortunately, a broken wrist. Not everything can be avoided. Approaching the scene as the drivers clambered from their still-intact vehicles, the being gave the cars and the nearby pedestrians a once-over, aware that none were irreparably damaged but wanting to check just in case. As they passed, the passenger side door of one of the cars opened, and out came a person, wincing as they delicately supported their wrist. The passenger's eyes met those of the being, and they found themselves freezing, though for barely a moment before they hurried their way along to continue their tasks. When they returned home that day, they had barely registered their faithful companion, not even greeting the little thing as they pushed their way into number seven and let the darkness within surround them. The inside of the house does not exist. Not in the way you'd expect it to, at least. Whilst the outside walls of number seven are tangible and seated firmly in Little Street, the innards are definitely not. Imagine the front door as a portal, if you'd like, that leads from Little Street to this other place that is slightly out of sync with the rest of the world. As far as anyone is aware, no one but the being has ever actually entered the house. The room within, or the dimension, or whatever you'd like to call it, is linked to the being's very essence. It forms its structure along the thoughts and needs of its occupant, and after a short period of calming darkness, it began to create. The being stepped forward, and from beneath their foot, a floor began to ripple itself into existence. It spread out ahead of them, unfolding from the void to form a corridor beset with what must have been hundreds of doors. They ignored them all. They ignored the doors small enough for a gerbil, and the doors tall enough to easily accommodate a giraffe. They passed rounded doors, and doors with painfully sharp angles. They didn't spare a glance for brightly coloured red and orange doors, or even the one door that was labelled, a single word scribbled on pastel blue wood, Wilbur. None of these doors were where they were going. That one, that one up ahead, plain in style with pearlescent sheen, their steps quickened. Before they even reached the door, it unlocked itself with a soft click, and with one unnecessary yet calming breath, they stepped inside. Before them lay a memory. A version of them, presumably from the past, though time isn't always the most linear of things, stood nearby, fluidly signing sentences to someone who watched them with bright eyes. A story was being told, one that had the other person laughing and grinning, absolutely enthralled by all that was being said. Once the being had concluded their story, they clapped their hands together, and when they slowly opened them, a diorama unfolded in their palms like a pop-up book. The person audibly gasped, and the being from the present smiled softly. They flicked their hand, and another memory emerged. Once again, the being was accompanied by a person. They looked to be someone different this time. They sat with their back to the being, legs crossed upon the floor and eyes closed so they gently swayed to the beautifully haunting melody that tumbled from the being's lips. When the tune ended, the person opened their eyes, bright as the moon, and turned to request another song. 
the being of the present settled themselves down on the floor of the room and waved their hand. More memories emerged, and they watched their other self with the different people who all shared the same bright eyes. Bentley, the person who now stood before number seven, wrist wrapped in a marker-decorated plaster cast, gazes at them with oh-so-familiar eyes. Their silence in response to Bentley's statement is apparently telling. You do remember. Okay, look. An almost chuckle leaves them as they rub the back of their neck with their non-injured hand. I don't know how, but I think you saved us. Me. In the accident. It felt like it should have been so much worse than it was. And when I got out of the car and I saw you, I just sort of knew. At this, the being is vaguely uncomfortable. They haven't been approached in relation to their helpful habits before, and they are not entirely sure if it is best to approve or deny the assumption. Again, Bentley seems to know what their silence means. You don't have to admit it. If you don't want to, that's okay. But I'd like to say thank you, if I could. Maybe by taking you to dinner? Or just out for a drink, if you prefer. <laughs> Whilst the being does not need to eat or drink, it is an activity they partake in occasionally. Whether to enjoy the flavors presented to them, or simply for something to do whilst people watching. And to be in the presence of those eyes once more. Yes, please. Much like their appearance, their voice sounds exactly as you would like it to sound. Bentley hears a voice that is familiar in a way they cannot place, and finds it comforting to no end. Their smile, previously tinged with an uncertain nervousness, transforms into one wildly excited and genuine, and they bounce on their toes slightly. Fantastic! Uh, are you, um, free now, or...? Bentley and the being make their plans. A short while later, they sit outside a restaurant, pleasantly warm despite the weather. They eat and drink and watch the people who pass by, wrapped tightly in their coats in an attempt to fight off the late-night chill. When Bentley gets a little too warm, the being breathes out a slow breath, and suddenly Bentley is comfortable once more. Despite not having a penny to their name, the being pays for their meal, and tips generously, of course. As they leave, an anxious new hire manages to catch an expensive bottle moments before it is due to shatter upon the ground. Bentley watches the young man breathe a sigh of relief, and then looks to the being with a curiously understanding smile. The being walks Bentley home, and on the way they discuss the stars now visible on this previously cloudy night. They offer a soft incline of the head as Bentley unlocks the door and they arrange to meet again, soon. And when the being leaves in the morning to complete their daily tasks, they might even greet a neighbour who watches them, peeking out from behind closed curtains. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by Andrew Mercator and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Apple Art. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows, eventually God might finally listen to us. 
Today's list of things that don't exist are jeans, bricks, the entire month of June, bread, clocks, rubber ducks, and any form of brush. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. Hello there, citizen. You've lived in Guilt City for a while now. Maybe you've wondered, when you wake in the morning and retrieve the letters tucked neatly into your postbox, just where your mail comes from. It comes from the night post, of course. Those faithful couriers deliver it while you're sleeping. All the better that they stay out of sight and keep the unseemly strangeness that follows them out of our city in the skelter where it belongs. Ahem. If, for some reason, you'd like to know more about Guilt City's conscripted couriers and the burden that chose them, their secret hopes and fears, the ancient, untamed threats that hound them on their nocturnal journeys, you have only to listen. The Night Post is a supernatural audio drama by an all-LGBT team, delivered weekly in dead of night to wherever you listen to podcasts.